0: Welcome to Every Brain Matters podcast. It's just pot, what's the problem? I am your host, Corrine Gasper, the director of Jennifer's Messengers, an organization that sounds the alarm on marijuana-impaired driving. Jennifer was my beautiful daughter who was killed by a medical marijuana-impaired driver in the prime of her life. She was just 22. Uh, Dr. Uh, Hustis, would you like to take a moment, introduce yourself and give us a brief history of how you've come here today?
1: I am happy to do that. I retired recently uh, from the National Institute on Drug Abuse, National Institutes of Health, where I conducted controlled drug administration studies for more than 23 years. I Um, and currently a senior fellow at the Institute on Emerging Health Professions, Thomas Jefferson University, and also senior scientific advisor to Penny Associates and president of Houston Smith Toxicology. My research program that continues on is in discovering the mechanisms of action of cannabinoid agonists and antagonists effects of in utero drug exposure, oral fluid testing, driving under the influence of drugs, and the neurobiology and pharmacokinetics of novel psychoactive substances. I've published 529 uh, manuscripts about these topics, and I received an honorary doctoral degree in Faculty of Medicine, University of Helsinki, and many other very important awards. The journal Clinical Chemistry featured me as an inspiring mind. I'm on the World Anti-Doping Agency's Prohibited Drug List Committee, the National Safety Council's Alcohol Drugs and Impairment Division, and many other organizations. I am uh, a past president of the Society of Forensic Toxicologists, past chair of the toxicology section, of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences and past president of the International Association of Forensic Toxicologists. And I need to tell your viewers that this is not my typical voice, that I do have a bad cold, I'm hoping it's not COVID, but I am very passionate about this topic and really want to discuss it with you today.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And we are just so happy to have you here today. It's, and your background is so perfect for what we're going to talk about today. Um, a lot of people don't understand and, and they've heard things like, I actually drive better when I'm high. So it'd be nice to talk about this and how that could be virtually impossible. You know I I know that you prefer to call marijuana you prefer to call marijuana which we out in the world call but you, the medical terminology I'm thinking is cannabis is that correct is there any
1: difference well it's very important to use cannabis it is the scientific appropriate word because marijuana is only one form of cannabis it's the 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 leaf material but there are extracts and isolates and There are, you know, uh, cannabis products that are gummy bears and sodas and everything else now. So cannabis covers all of the material that include THC, and THC is delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the primary psychoactive compound in cannabis. So cannabis is a better word, but we're referring to marijuana and all of the forms Including edibles and dabbing and other ways in which people use it.
0: Well, thank you for clarifying that because I know a lot of people get confused about that, and and um, I know the marijuana industry likes to refer to it in, in different ways for different reasons. So now we know why. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the study on marijuana impaired driving that you did, or cannabis and drive impaired driving?
1: Yes, I. Uh, wanted very much to run that study. The United States has the most advanced um, driving simulator in the world. And it was built by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, NHTSA, at the University of Iowa. And the University of Iowa now maintains it and has a whole staff of engineers, physicians. You know, it, it takes a lot of people to run this instrument. And we've had it, but it had never been used to test drugs. It was used for very useful things like pharmaceutical companies to make sure drugs were not making people drowsy or impaired. It was used for all of the distracted driving, like with your cell phones and texting. But I felt strongly that we needed to test cannabis. I tried for 10 years and every 10 year, you know, every year I was in there telling the Office of National Drug Control Policy, ONDCP, I need to do this study. We need this information as more and more cannabis use comes on. We need to be able to describe. And also the most common combination is cannabis and alcohol. So I wanted to do alcohol alone and alcohol with cannabis so there was actually six different driving scenarios for 45 minutes so that we had a complete coverage of placebo uh, cannabis with active alcohol active cannabis two different doses with um placebo alcohol, and placebo both. So six sessions. And after 10 years, ONDCP said, go run that study. Here's the money and leave us alone. So I was thrilled. And the study cost about $2 million to do. Wow! And so both the ONDCP, NHTSA, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse all supported the study. And in this study, we evaluated many different aspects of cannabis impaired driving. Cannabis is known to cause you to weave in your lane. This is one of the most uh, common things that happen is that you lose that control to stay within your lane. And many of the accidents that occur, in fact, we should never use the word accident. (laughs) <laughs> when someone chooses to use a drug, it's that's a right. crash.
0: That's and it's right.
1: a decision that they make that's to right. use the drug and drive. So it's never an accident. So the person will drift across the lane and hit the oncoming car head on. Or they may drift off the road and hit trees, signs, and things like this. They also, so that's their lateral movement. that they lose control on they also lose control of their longitudinal movement so they have more variability in their speed they're not quite sure about the distance between the car in front of them so those are two of the aspects but one of the things that's so important for people to understand and excuse me a moment i'll take a sip
0: absolutely take your time
1: one of the critical things is for people to understand that we all have an endogenous cannabinoid system in our brain and it's been conserved over evolution. And this is, this system is so important. It is in charge of things like survival mechanisms, body temperature, reproduction, hunger, memory, attention, divided attention, you know, all these aspects that we need in order to survive. And the endogenous neurotransmitter system actually maintains what we call homeostasis. It tries to keep things in balance. So there are specific areas of the brain that have a large number of cannabinoid receptor one. There are more than one type of cannabinoid receptor, but it turns out that the cannabinoid CB1 receptor is of highest density in most parts of our brain. So there are specific areas like the cerebellum and the basal ganglia, which are the areas in charge of motion fine motor control. Mm. They are tremendously affected by cannabis. This mm. is where you'll hear of crashes where the, the driver on cannabis runs into the back of a police car, Yeah, you know, because they just can't control their motor um, impulse as well. The biggest area is decision-making. So the, The area of the hippocampus of of the brain, the area of memory, decision-making, the huge brain that we have, that's the difference between us and lower animals. That huge brain is our executive function. And executive function is taking in all the information from your environment, first evaluating it. Is it important or salient? If it's important, I'm going to pay attention to it. Then I need to compare it to what's in my memory. And then I need to make decisions on uh, what, I, what course of action I'm going to take. And cannabis slows every one of mm. those steps wow. executive And so many, many times the cannabis causes an individual to have a crash because they cannot respond to their environment and changes in their environment. Uh, A good example is a child coming out of a side street on a bicycle and into traffic. Um, Surely the individual has no intention of hurting that child, but they may see the child a little bit later It takes them longer to realize it's important. It takes them longer to consider what can I do to avoid the crash? What can I do to implement this action? And so cannabis really impairs driving. Take a drink there. (laughs)
0: Um, Somebody mentioned something to me because, of course, the man that did this to my daughter went through a red light and he was traveling at a high rate of speed. Um, somebody said that it actually causes a tunneling. It affects the the visual senses too, and it causes a tunneling effect. So he probably didn't even see there was a light there. It, it, have you found this? Is
1: this something that? There, there is one paper that talks about tunneling, of peripheral vision, but there's only one. There's only one. So uh, it's something I also have heard about, but there's not a lot of strong evidence. I would say more common would be that executive function. Yes. The ability to recognize like a light changing Yes. Or even to recognize that the light is there, yes. and that they need to to stop. Yes, I, I'd like to also bring another thing up. In the kinds of studies that we can do as researchers, we are limited in the amount of drug that we can give someone, yes. and for the amount of time that we can give them. And it's very interesting because at the doses that we can give, usually. We see a slowing of speed um, and uh, that is not what you see in the cannabis impaired arrests and what you see in the cannabis crashes. So it appears that individuals who take a lot more drug than we can safely give do end up increasing their speed. And that's another issue because the faster you're going, the harder it is for you to respond appropriately when there's a change we in in my study initially i had people driving and it's a long drive so that we captured many different aspects of driving but we told them to go straight and when they saw the light by the shell station to turn left and every single person that was on cannabis Drove right through the light. Oh gosh! So we oh had actually had to change. We had to change uh, the whole program because uh, obviously the study went on to the left, and they went straight. So it's it's people. You know, I have many parents that tell me, "Oh, I'm so glad my son Jimmy." is not drinking and driving. Yeah. He's just yeah. smoking marijuana and driving. And it shows such a lack yeah. of education. Yes. It's true that alcohol is the number one cause of crashes and motor vehicle deaths. But cannabis is number two. And cannabis about doubles the odds ratio of having a serious Motor vehicle crash, plus and so parents don't understand that, or right. you know, not educating our children. Plus, we
0: know um, right from uh, the authorities that once they find enough alcohol to convict, that they do not go on and test for drugs. So a lot, a lot of these uh, statistics that we have and we're gauging this upon are somewhat skewed because there probably is marijuana involved in a lot of these that are arrested for, for alcohol.
1: You are absolutely right. And it is directly because we have not funded our forensic laboratories well enough that the cost to do the blood testing, uh, we, we don't have enough people, enough equipment, et cetera.
0: I hear that they're very backed up as well. The labs get very backed up.
1: It's absolutely true. And we also need to change our laws because our laws in many states, not all, but in many states say that there's no difference whether you drink alcohol and use all the drugs in the world. Yes. It's the same penalty. So we need to make sure that we have laws that, that penalize people who drink and drive and who use drugs and drive. Yes. In fact,
0: Ed Wood got a law passed in Colorado that helped with uh, defining those statistics better. And and it's helped with the laws as well that follow. And it keeps all of us safer.
1: That is absolutely true. Yeah, Absolutely true. The other thing I want to say is how the perception of any risk has occurred for young people. Because they used to say cannabis is an illegal drug. I don't want to get in trouble. Cannabis can affect me yes. in many ways. Now they say cannabis can't be bad for me. They've made it legal. Yes. Cannabis can't be bad, be bad for me. It's medicine.
0: To what you're saying, Doctor Huesis, our rDA DA in our county has found that um, these people that are, are you know that do get arrested for impaired driving, they are surprised that. Well, I have this medical marijuana card from my doctor, but they—they they have not, you know, been told or it hasn't been explained to them. But that, that doesn't, you know, this is an impairing medicine. There's no warning labels, you know. I mean, so they just assume. Well, doctor gave this to me. I can drive, and so we've got a lot of things to to clear up here.
1: Absolutely, and I—I I must say you have a lot of money behind the cannabis industry yes. and there's lots of publicity and our governments have not done a good job. Our schools of educating exactly. people about the harms of cannabis. And uh, I hope maybe we'll have another conversation one day because my biggest concerns about cannabis is number one, the short-term effect on cannabis impaired driving and the increase in morbidity and mortality but my second huge concern is the long-term concern of the de- the effect of cannabis on the developing brain mm-hmm. and it it affects in utero exposure babies that are breastfed from moms who are using cannabis babies that are breathing it in in passive inhalation and then obviously when they start self-administering as okay. adolescents it completely affects the development of their brain.
0: Well, we'll definitely have you back when we when we do our podcast on that. There was another thing that really concerned me that I think a lot of people do not understand, and that is chronic use. And so, okay, I haven't used in a couple days. Um, today, I might've had some alcohol uh, and I'm out on the road. Does that cannabis from a couple days ago being a chronic user, still have an effect on me a couple days later, even though I haven't used that particular time.
1: Yes. And I think I want to say whether the alcohol is in the picture or not. Um, I like to think that I spent the first half of my career studying acute cannabis use by different routes of exposure, different different potencies, et cetera. But I couldn't figure out how to study chronic frequent cannabis use because of what I said before, we are limited in how much we will give people um, for safety and ethical and even financial reasons. So, so, so I finally so let me, figured out.
0: Let, let me just ask you something, because you mentioned that twice and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but so what medic um, in your testing, what are you allowed to give and what do you, what do you think typically is used outside just so people can compare the difference there
1: well so it's it's kind of a long conversation but oh, we'll try to okay. make it a little short no so what we have to do is do no harm first we can't give anything that is going to harm the individual so we only give drug to people who already take the drug we only give drug as much as they give themselves, like in a single setting kind of thing. And we do it with doctors and nurses and Mm -hmm. we have crash carts and we have medicines in case they have, um, you know, get faint or uh, they have um, uh, any kind of medical emergency we are prepared for. But with chronic use, people take, huge amounts of the drug every day, every day of the year. So what I started to do, oh, and when we, we also are somewhat limited in the potency that we can give, Mm. but individuals titrate their dose. If you're smoking or you're vaporizing cannabis you can titrate your dose, which means you can take in as much of the drug as you can get based on how you smoke it. Hmm. So the people that are used to smoking the drug a lot, they will inhale very deeply. They will hold it in the lungs, deep in the lungs, and they will get very high concentrations. So I can get the same high concentrations that the users are getting out in the, in the field. Hmm. But what I don't do is give them 20, 30, 40 joints a day every day for 10 years. That's what I mean about the limitation.
0: Okay. So
1: in this study, I wanted so much to study the effects of chronic frequent cannabis use. And so what we did is I took the individuals from many of my studies who use the most cannabis. I brought them in at nine or 10 o'clock at night because I wanted them not to be acutely impaired in the morning, but I didn't want them to start going through cannabis withdrawal. Hmm. And when you are a chronic frequent cannabis smoker, you develop some tolerance and you develop cannabis dependence. And when you don't get the drug, you start to have cannabis withdrawal, all of which are recognized psychiatric Mm. diagnoses now. Hmm. So they came in at 10 o'clock. They had no drug uh, all night. I did all my baseline measures. So I had a non-acutely intoxicated person and then. We didn't give them drug. We kept them on a closed research unit for up to 30 days.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, remember they're volunteers. They can leave anytime they yeah. want. Yes. Uh, so it was extremely difficult. Uh, we started with uh, about 30 people and we, it was such an amazing study. We went down and we imaged, the density of the CB1 cannabinoid receptors wow. in different areas of their brain, many different areas of his of their brain. And it was one of the first objective measures showing the long-term effects of chronic cannabis exposure. And hmm. so I told you already all the important functions that the endogenous cannabinoid system is involved in. And what we showed was significant down regulation of the cannabinoid receptor density in the anterior cingulate, in the insula, in many different areas of the brain, the areas that are in, in charge of movement, in charge of memory, in charge of attention. So we showed this significant change. And if you have reduced the receptors then your brain is not functioning appropriately. Hmm. So we showed that initially, we also took blood every day. And we showed that before this study, every toxicologist around the world would have said, if you find THC in the blood then that individual used recently within six hours at the most 12 hours prior. And if they're an occasional user, like two hours prior, unbelievably, we were able to measure THC in the blood of some chronic frequent cannabis users for the in full 30 days. Wow. So it was leaching from the fat tissue in the body into the blood. Yes. And guess what? One of the f- tissues in the body that has the most fat, the brain. Also, there's a study from France that shows that the THC stays in the brain longer than it stays in the blood. And so we're still measuring it in the blood. It's still in the brain. And it's the active compound that's in the brain. So the third piece of the puzzle so we showed the receptors in the brain, we showed THC in the blood. The third piece was we brought over from the Netherlands where they do the studies in the cars that they put out on the regular highway. Jan Ramakers is a good friend and colleague. Mm. He has shown that divided attention and tracking are two of the primary effects of cannabis on driving. And he showed it in the lab and he showed it on the street in the car. We brought over a graduate student and all his equipment and we ran it in this study and the results were shocking. So we showed impairment between occasionally users and chronic frequent users so that the chronic frequent users performed worse than the occasional users when everybody's sober. Then we showed the chronic frequent cannabis users were impaired after one week of abstinence, two weeks of abstinence, three weeks of no cannabis. They still were significantly impaired compared to the controls. Yep. Amazing. So the fact that they still have the drug in the brain and it's active, it's still going to affect their driving. Right. Right, Wow,
0: <laughs> so anybody that says uh, that driving under the influence of marijuana is safe could could not know any of this and and doesn't really understand cannabis whatsoever.
1: Well, it's the, the, they don't want to understand
0: it. Yeah, yes,
1: yes. And you know the 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 other area that I want to say, really occurs with cannabis crashes is the unexpected event. People may smoke cannabis and drive home just fine eight times in a row. Okay. They go down the road, nothing unusual (laughs) happens. They make it home. But the next time they go out, you know, somebody opens a car door into traffic in a city, Somebody um, misses, you know, they, they've been waiting to turn left and, and the finally they, they get the, the leg turning yellow or red and they turn, they cannot compensate for that. And I will tell you a true story. And, uh, teenagers are driving down the road. They've been smoking marijuana in the car and the teenager is going through the main street of the town and he sees way down the road. He sees an old man crossing the street and he calculates like we all do. Yes. Okay. He's already halfway across. I'm going slow. By the time he gets there, you know, I get there, he's going to be across the street, but the old man drops his keys. Oh my leaning over and he's trying so hard to pick him up and he can't pick him up and the kid driving he doesn't see it as quickly as he should he doesn't assess the meaning the criticalness of this he doesn't decide what he's going to do and he doesn't implement it and he just runs him right over and it's that's the kind of unexpected thing I told you the police officer one, the police officer, the guy in front of the police officer slammed on his brakes. Police officer did the guy on cannabis went right through the police car. So it's very sad and people need, you know, I am not a prude. I like my champagne. I don't drink and drive. You know, if you want to stay home, And you want to smoke cannabis and not expose children to it, that's your own business. But you have no right to make that decision and go out and put other people at risk. And, And let me add to that I don't think you should expose anybody to your
0: cannabis, be it children, be it a neighbor. Smoking on your back porch and it drifting into their yard. Uh, using cannabis in an apartment building and it seeps through the doors and the windows and gets into other people's apartments. There's many way you, ways you can get exposure. And you're very right. Do you does it does it surprise you a lot that they're pushing so hard to get this legalized across our country?
1: No, it's huge business. It's billion dollar business. Right. I, I do want to say one thing too. I am strongly in support of medical cannabis for unmet clinical needs where we have proven its safety and the most important thing, proven its efficacy. So we have some cannabis uh, products now at, that from, come from the cannabis plant like Epidiolex, right. which has made life-changing differences in children with Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. It's made a tremendous difference, but we've done all of the studies. It's approved by the FDA and we know that it works. We also have Drenabinol for uh, helping people with AIDS wasting disease and- mm-hmm nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy but what we have now is we have rampant use quote medical use of cannabis without any studies showing its efficacy and the other thing we have not done in this country is we have not addressed the issue of medical cannabis and driving
0: yes i mean we, we, have we just not. haven't
1: addressed it we have not
0: and we We need
1: to, we need to um, have a plan whether people who use medical cannabis can't drive at all, right. Whether we do the testing to show that certain doses and with certain levels of tolerance can drive acceptably, but we have not addressed it. And it's, it's a very bad problem.
0: And when they go into these medical dispensaries they're greeted there by some someone called a bud tender, who in most cases, from what I've heard, I've never gone into one, I've never spoken to one, but from what I've heard, and also from uh, a person that used to do that, that job, Um, we've heard that these people are nothing but potheads and things, and they've tried these different things and people go in there with a medical condition. I mean, I know a woman lately whose son went in there and, you know, he, he had a digestive issue and he heard that cannabis would help him and they prescribed this particular thing and his condition got much worse until he ended up taking his own life. He couldn't handle it anymore. He was promised this as a cure. And it didn't work out. And and he just gave up. And, I, you know, we need to address these issues and understand. I think these people put a lot of faith into these bud tenders when they go into
1: these dispensaries, medical dispensaries. They are not medical personnel. They do not have the training to do this. And, you know, in Israel, I do a lot of research in Israel. And in Israel, they are one of the first countries to have medical cannabis. And it was set up you would go see your doctor. Your doctor would suggest what to use. You would take the prescription. You would go to a dispensary and you would get it. And the plan was you would go back to your doctor and you would discuss, did it work? Did it not work? What should I do? Well, what they found is they never came back to the doctor. (laughs) That person without the medical training is saying, oh, increase your dose, change this. And so they actually totally revamped their system. And now medical cannabis is given out through pharmacists, just like every other kind of medicine. Mm -hmm. And you have to have changes in that prescription from your physician. And Mm -hmm. I think those would be very positive changes.
0: Right. Something else I wanted to ask you about that I didn't bring up before was Uh, perhaps edibles and driving. I know it's a whole different uh, way of looking at it because you, you, it takes a while to digest these things, right?
1: Yes. Yes. In fact, um, with, with inhalation, any type of inhalation, you actually have the peak concentration before the last puff, whether you're smoking or using a vaporizer. So you get very, very high peaks really quickly it drops off really quickly in the blood, not in the brain, but in the blood. And the effects, like many effects, come back to normal and say something like heart rate is back to normal within about three or four hours. Uh, With edibles, you take it in and the peak is very variable between one and five hours. So it really can peak later. One to five Uh, hours. Yeah. It's much, much longer. And the the THC concentrations are much, much lower. Okay. Uh, Because it's absorbed much slower and a lot of it's destroyed. So you put it in the acid stomach and a lot gets destroyed. You then take it from the stomach right to the liver where it starts to get metabolized. So when you smoke um, cannabis, you get high concentrations very rapidly. And you have very low concentrations at the peak THC of 11-hydroxy. 11-hydroxy THC is the first metabolite and it is just as potent as THC. So it's important for laboratories to measure but after smoking, initially, concentrations are pretty low. After edibles, you produce about the same amount of 11-hydroxy as you do THC. And since they're equipotent, it's almost like a doubling wow. of the amount. You need to take into account the THC and the 11-hydroxy concentrations. The other thing is that affects last- much longer. So let's say you have an offset after smoking cannabis, in most regards, after you know the acute effects in, in six hours, eight hours, but with the um, edibles, it can go out 12 hours or so. So it's very important to understand the effects may last a lot longer. And then for a reason we do not know yet, there appears to be more psychosis with edibles wow. um, and and I do not have a scientific answer for it, but we had when we had people, both occasional cannabis users, chronic frequent cannabis users, smoked cannabis, vaped cannabis and edibles all at the same dose, we had a lot more psychosis. When, when the same person, same dose took it by edible than when they smoked it. So mm-hmm. that's another issue. And you hear about this all the time in Colorado because people uh, will come out to Colorado. They want to do cannabis tourism. They yeah. don't like smoking. So they decide I'll take a cookie. You know, they get a cookie. It's just one little cookie. They don't read on the bottom that it's a hundred milligrams of THC. It says break into 10 even pieces. (laughs) Who does that? You can't break it into 10 even pieces. And I don't share my cookies with anybody. So they eat a whole cookie and guess what? Nothing happens. So they take the second cookie and they eat it. And then two, three, four hours later, boom. And they are they're afraid. They don't like the loss of control they don't like their heart rate that's going so fast. And so they end up in the emergency room. Wow. Wow.
0: (laughs) So many things that people need to be warned about, you know, when they they make it like, it's just this fun thing and, and it's just something that you can go and do. Nobody warns you about, about any of these things that you've just discussed with us. And yeah, that's really scary. And as long as I've been doing this, some of the things that you've told me I've never heard of before. So it's so important that we get these messages out there. And, and a campaign Absolutely. that we're doing is, is for Halloween about candy and how much they make these products look like the real thing, like, um, like pop tarts instead of pop tarts and Reese's, you know, they change yeah. all these just a little bit and a child isn't going to You know, truly examine it if somebody has put this in their candy bag,
1: you know? Wait, exactly. And also, um, another thing that people, a very serious thing that people need to be aware of is you know that we're in the middle of this horrible opioid epidemic where many, many people have died. And we have these very potent um, synthetic opioids. Do you know that they're putting those synthetic opioids? not only in heroin, not only in oxycodone pills, they're putting it in cocaine, they're putting it in marijuana, and they're lacing it. And people are dying from these things. So people have to be extremely careful. Hmm.
0: Yes, definitely. Wow. (laughs) I'm always learning something new. Um, I'm always amazed at The fact that we're putting this out there and we're not warning people and there's no there's no warning signs about driving in a lot of these dispensaries. I mean, it should be right on the product, the product. Um, It amazes me that they go to a different doctor who actually knows them, at least that is how it is in my state. There's a different doctor that you go to, to to get your marijuana card. So the man really doesn't, the doctor, I shouldn't say man, the doctor really does not know your background or or you know how how this drug could affect you and it's you know recommended to you and then you go into these um these dispensaries and you buy this powerful marijuana and and from what i hear it's very powerful nowadays like you said it can be up to there was 100 100 milligrams is it milligrams am i saying that correct of yes, THC yes. th- th- within that cookie and like you said cookie you always eat the whole cookie who doesn't and, right. you know, you could eat that cookie as you walk outside of the dispensary and get in your car and a half hour later, an hour later, you're totally out of it. So yes. we've got a, a
1: lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, if you ask me. And and I I think with, you know, the government is really it, it it's, you know, it takes some horrible event to really draw attention and. Uh, We don't want that. We don't want any more deaths. We want people to understand and be responsible uh, with their use. Driving is not, you know, it's something you have to uh, it's not a right. You have to earn it and you cannot you drink and drive and you cannot use cannabis and drive because you put yourself and others at risk.
0: And you and it's insidious, so you can't be objective with yourself once you are already on these drugs. You know you're gonna you're not gonna make the proper decision because you're not thinking through a clear mind.
1: So, well, um, they the the surveys show that a very large percentage of adolescents say that they they smoke and drive in the last year. A very large percentage, yeah, smoked and drive.
0: They just did that they did that survey, I think it was in Michigan, where um, where I think it was 51% of uh, marijuana users drive, medical marijuana users drive very high. And they that's only the people that admit to it. So the actual s- statistic I'm sure is much higher than that. Well, you thank, know, you, one, thank you so one, much, one for, Oh thing. yes,
1: yes. One more thing I wanna make sure we don't forget yes. is the most common combination is alcohol and cannabis. And in that study um, that we did in the most advanced driving simulator, we showed that alcohol alone impairs driving, cannabis alone impairs driving, and together it's an additive impairment. So it is very, very dangerous to both use alcohol and um, cannabis. And we showed that when someone uses both that the cannabis causes the peak alcohol to be delayed so you know people know a lot about well if i drink i need to wait this long etc yes yes cannabis can delay that peak and the alcohol caused a significantly higher thc concentration and And we think that's because alcohol causes capillaries to dilate and in the lung, the capillaries in the lung may dilate and take in more THC. So that is also a very dangerous combination. So
0: definitely an intensifying effect when you you add the two together. Wow, interesting. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. It's just been incredible speaking with you. And um, I hope that we can talk to you again on some other subjects that we'll be covering soon.
1: Yes. And again, I'm very sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. I know she'd be very, very proud of you.
0: Oh, thank you, Dr. Eustace. I really appreciate that. I try to do her justice. Thank you. We ask you to like and share our podcast and give us good reviews so that we can increase awareness about marijuana impaired driving. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please share it with your friends and family and follow us for more important information on marijuana. Thank you.